Hello and welcome to the Christ Fellowship weekly podcast. At Christ Fellowship, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and His purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on Sunday morning, please visit ChristFellowship.org. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. I don't know about you, but I had like maybe one piece of pie too many. But there's still some left in our house. And so I'm going to do the faithful thing, the responsible thing, and go home and devour that tonight. So, well, I, uh, I love this time of year. I really like Thanksgiving uh, because it's about eating for four days. And uh, my mouth gets happy this time of year. But part of the reason of that is because Jackie and I, we have like, I don't know about you guys, but we have got some amazing cooks on both sides of our family. And with Jackie's family, it's, you know, La Familia. I mean, we've got tamales going and the, the enchiladas. I mean, that's, that's Thanksgiving. It's incredible. And my side of the family, it's pies and hams and all those things. And so it's one of the reasons I, I like it is just because it's, your, your mouth just gets happy for a few days, and your heart gets glad as well. And as Con and I were talking, we're trying to make our way to the gym on Monday somehow to repent from all that we've done. So, But uh, speaking of happy times, uh, that's actually what I want to talk to us about today. I want to talk about the pursuit of happiness. Because we're all on the pursuit of happiness, it just depends on what the pursuit is what we're looking to, what we're trying to get to, and how we get there. And you may remember this title from a movie about 10 years ago uh, starring Will Smith. It was a true story, and he had his real-life son in the movie with him as well. And I've just, I, I, I found this story really interesting because I had, this guy was on such a pursuit to find happiness. I mean, the whole movie was just striving and trying to get there and just two steps forward and three steps backward and on and on and on. And as I thought about it, I thought this movie is really about overcoming disappointment and how, how we work through all that. And it's a, it was an entertaining movie. It was actually a compelling story. But one of my takeaways after watching it was that a dream without God at the center is always going to leave us wanting. Because once we get there, even in this world, we experience some level of happiness. Then the goal is to try, you know, we climb the hill or we overcome the obstacles and we finally get there. The goal now is to try to stay here and hold on to it and remain in this place and hold on to the utopia we've experienced. And that's harder done, harder to hold on to than we think sometimes. And so really today, what I want to do is help us see happiness and joy and contentment through the lens of Jesus, okay? Because, well, let's look over to 1 Thessalonians 5. Turn there with me. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. It's one of our texts today. We'll have a couple others. But in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, Be joyful always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Be joyful, pray, 
Be thankful. This is God's will. It's not complicated. It's a really short three verses. But for some reason, this seems like the hardest thing in the world to do for us. To be joyful, pray, be thankful. Find ourselves in the middle of God's will. And so the main thing I want to say to you today is that our Father's desire is that we find true joy and happiness in His Son Jesus so that thankfulness and gratitude never end. You know, around here, you hear us talking a lot about being true disciples. That's something our heart is longing for. We want to be real followers of Jesus. But the nature of being a follower means that we're looking to something. We're looking to someone else. And so in this, when we are following something, someone else, the nature of that is that there's ongoing and perhaps constant course calibrations, course corrections. Jamie will call them recalibrations. He'll encourage us from time to time. Let's recalibrate, guys. Let's turn our hearts back. Let's tune back in to the life of God. Because on these course corrections, let's say you've got two speedboats in the water. And these boats are going side by side, but then one of them makes a 2% correction, a 5% adjustment. Initially, it doesn't seem like much, but the farther they go, the farther, become, the farther apart they become. And so the significance is here is that small corrections, small adjustments lead to big changes. This is the easy part, is making this little adjustment right here. It's holding on to it and holding course in order to arrive at a different place that we were hoping to land. And so research scientists say that this tweak could be the key to happiness. Like, wow. Okay? So there's a recent uh, 2017 Harris poll that, that's, that they took, and one out of three Americans said they're happy, which means that two out of three aren't. So two-thirds of our society is saying, I'm not happy because I've got something I'm discontent with in my life. And it was the same need for more that caused Eve to fall in the garden. You know, we live in a, we live in a, a society where contentment's not a virtue. But it was in the garden where all this got started. And Eve started believing that God was somehow being too restrictive over her. That he was limited. Having your choices limited could never lead to happiness. Could somehow not possibly provide contentment in our life. And our society doesn't value this. Our, our society doesn't encourage encourage us in this. I mean, there's a, there was like a snake in the grass salesman that was telling her, you can't be happy by just saying yes to that. In fact, I would encourage you, you're entitled to it all. I mean, after all, this is a free country. It's a free garden. Have all you want. Don't let anybody limit you to anything. Take it all in. It's all good. In fact, you deserve it all. And it wasn't long after that that Eve is feeling embarrassed, 
full of shame. She's got regret. Imagine what she's going through. The good news is that God doesn't leave us there. He's, he's all about our happiness. He, he cares for us. He wants us to be happy. But in the end, his greatest desire is to see us conformed into his son, Jesus. And so as hard as we try, sometimes our expectations, they still just aren't met. We find ourselves walking into disappointment or feeling disappointed. And I don't always feel like super spiritual when I'm, uh, when I'm in these places. I'm, I'm feeling emotions. I'm feeling discomfort. I'm feeling pain. I'm feeling anxiety. I'm feeling... Ugh. What I realize is I need, I need Jesus' love in this place of my life. I need him to fill me because I'm feeling wonky right now. I've got all these things coming on me, and I need to find God in these places. And so let's, I want to talk about this just for a little bit this morning, about dealing with disappointment. Woo, bring it, Pastor. Let's do it. I knew y'all were going to get excited on this one. So I'm thinking about this, and I'm like, are there any stories in the Bible where people are getting disappointed? Uh-huh. Oh, we fix to start preaching now. You know, I'm like, I'm looking at Luke 24. I'm thinking about the disciples on the road to Emmaus. I mean, can you imagine what these guys are going through? I mean, you talk about a gut punch. I mean, not only are they questioning this, probably questioning this Jesus guy who said, I'm all this and I'm going to build a kingdom. They probably were questioning themselves. I mean, could you imagine? They're like, man, we bought this. I mean, we devoted ourselves to it. It was true. We knew it. This guy's dead. Whoa. Apostle Paul, he, he talks about, like, I was beaten three times. I was, you know, I was lost at sea. I got stoned multiple times. And then he's like, crashed my boat three times. I mean, this is rugged. I was picturing myself standing on the, on the beach. His boat comes, you know, on its side up to the beach, big hole in the hole or whatever happened. But I was like, as a businessman, he's got to be thinking, this ain't good for business. Like, I'm out. I'm out of business for a while. I have no way to make an income. I mean, this is a discipline. How am I going to fix all this? Where, where do I go to go to the boat store, go down to Lowe's and get some more lumber to fix the hull? I mean, wh what do you do there? But he had to be disappointed. But turn over with me to Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. I found my old Bible. Like I found this a couple few months back. It was up in one of my uh, shelves. This is a Bible from 1990. And I was looking through it like everything in it's highlighted. I've got like notes in the margin, and it's just like, it was like a treasure to find. But I was looking at it, and I was like, all these sermon notes and outlines. And I was like, these are notes from my pastor from 1990 from this whippersnapper named Jamie Miller. <laughs> so if you're looking for any old outlines, I may have them for you right here, all right? Luke 13, 6 through 9. This is Jesus talking. He says, Then he told a parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He went to look for fruit on it 
but he didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree. I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. So this is a, it's, it's a story about repentance. It's a story about turning back to God. It's a story about turning from our sin and coming to find Him. But on the surface, I was seeing another story here that was interesting to me. In this parable, we've got an owner who's disappointed. We've got a vineyard manager who's disappointing. We've got a tree that's dysfunctional. I'm like, I've, I've experienced all three of these some days, even some weeks. And really, that's what the essence of disappointment is. It's when you plant something and it doesn't produce the fruit that you had expected. Because when you've worked hard for something, when you've given your time, your energy, your resources, your prayers, and then it doesn't produce, there's disappointment that comes with that. You give it everything you've got, and then... You've invested into something. It didn't, it didn't turn out like they told you it was. You've invested into someone. They made some choices that didn't lead to life. Could have been some relational bridges that got burned. It could be prayers that went unanswered. And when we find ourselves in those places, it gets difficult sometimes. And it's normal to get disappointed from time to time. It's okay. And it's even okay to grieve certain things. It's appropriate that we would do that sometimes. But we don't want to let the challenges change who we are or what we've been called to be. Okay? I don't want to blame my lack of fruit on my environment. I don't want, I don't want to blame my, the challenge I'm having in my studies on my environment. I don't want to blame the challenges in my marriage on my environment, the challenges at my job, the challenges in my life group. I don't want to blame them on the environment. Because if you'll notice in this parable, the same ground that this tree was planted in and not producing fruit is the same ground that was causing other trees to grow. And so a few years back, I was talking with a guy who was the director of agriculture at a vineyard in California. Some of you may know that Napa Valley claims to have some of the greatest wine in the nation and some even say the world. But I was wondering like what makes Napa Valley so unique, so desirable for growing this fruit? And so I'm talking to this guy and he's starting to explain to me the why. He's really smart, using words that were way above my pay grade. And so I just kind of cut through and I was like, uh, so are you saying that it's like the soil in Napa? It's, it's so rich, like that's what makes the fruit so delicious? He was like, no. It's not the soil at all. He said, in fact, the soil's terrible. In fact, the soil, it's like the worst you could imagine for trying to produce agriculture. 
And I'm like, okay. He's like, what happens is because the soil is so poor, because the quality of it is so rocky, that these vines are constantly under stress. And so what happens is the roots begin to stretch and push and to reach down as deep as they possibly can until they finally get to water. Because when they hit water, they know they can sustain themselves. But he says, that's not what makes the fruit so delicious. What makes the fruit delicious here is the climate. See, what happens is in the morning, because Napa is literally located in a valley, the morning cool air and fog comes into the valley and it gets hung up. It stagnates in there because it can't get out. And so it's cool all morning until the sun rises. And about noon in the afternoon, it burns off the fog and brings the warmth. He said, and so we have this perfect balanced climate where it's cool in the morning, warm in the afternoon, produces some of the most amazing grapes in the world. And so he finished preaching the gospel to me. And I was really, I was blown away. I was like, wow, for the climate. I need to keep the climate right around me. I need to be aware. I want to make choices that help me stay in a climate that's life-giving to me, that's helping me grow, that's helping foster life and wholeness in me. Because when we face some type of disappointment, the, the decision soon becomes, what are we going to do next? How are we going to respond? And my experience is that community is the climate that helps us respond well and healthy. Because it's really difficult for us to stay in disappointment when we're being transparent with another brother or sister. My experience has been that the load gets a little bit lighter every time you can share your burden, share your story, share where you're at. A lot of times I don't want to share the story because it's too painful. I just want to forget it. That every single time when I find myself with some friends and they're like, hey, how's it going there? And then we share the burden's lifted. The burden's lighter because we're carrying the burden for each other. And there's something powerful about being heard and being known and having somebody pray for you to speak love and hope and life over you. Because when we're disappointed, we've lived there so long, we start thinking funky. We're not always thinking the truth. And friends objectively can come in Speak the truth. Speak the life. Speak the hope. Speak power to us. Amen? All right. So being able to pray together and walk in community and keep the climate right around us, these are things that help us walk in wholeness. So I want to talk about that for just a minute, about habits of wholeness. The Bible says that we're to love Him with all our soul, our strength, our mind, all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. Heart, our soul, our mind, and strength. I think we do pretty well about following Him with our heart. I think we do pretty well about 
following him with our strength. We probably do pretty well following him with our mind. It's that soul thing. What do we do with that? What, what, what exactly does that mean? One of the ways we do this, to follow him like this, is to, to get up and read the Bible, and do get up and, and worship and do the things that keep our eyes focused and turned to Jesus. But it's not just about having good habits. Jesus has got to be our friend. Because we've got to have somebody. We need to know him in a way that we can share the, the joys and we can share the struggles and we can be honest with him. I remember a season where God told me, he says, you know me as Lord. I want you to know me as Father. It's like, okay, I got some growth there. I need to seek you. I need to, I need to know you. I need to experience you as Father. Because my experience has been is that it takes, when, when you're really feeling the burden, feeling the pressure, really walking through something, some fire, it's going to take a little bit more than a 15 to 30 minute little morning time to get free and to keep walking in life with Jesus. Whatever you're doing, whatever your time connecting with Jesus is, I want to encourage you to do whatever it takes for you to connect with him, to feel him, to hear him, to experience him, whatever. Whatever it looks like, go for it. Worship, walk, sit, cry, sit in silence, read the word, don't read the word, pursue him. I don't care. Just connect with him. What helps you connect with God? What is it? If you're not sure, ask your spouse. Ask a friend. They can probably tell you because they know when you come alive. But I remember one season where I was really going through, I'd been walking through something, and it actually had been, it had been a couple years of this feeling, this pain, this disappointment of some stuff I'd walked through. And I just didn't know really what to do with it because it was done, it was over, there was nothing I could do to change the outcome. And so every time it would come up, I would just kind of, eh, well, I don't know what to do with this. There's nothing I can do anyway, so just, just push it over here. And just, oh, Jesus, you know, glory, glory, glory. Until finally the pain just got enough to where I was like, I'm not okay with this. Like, I need to process with God. I need to talk with I need to know what he says and what he thinks about this. Because I'm struggling over here. And sometimes we've just got to push the day back, push the season back, and get some space to be with the king. For me, it was a Saturday morning. I had a couple hours. I didn't have anybody waiting on me, looking for me, needing me. didn't have anywhere to go. But I got up to have quiet time. I remember opening my Bible, reading it, and I read it for about three or four minutes, and I closed it. I was like, I can't do this. I've got a question that I've got to have an answer for. It's just consuming me. But I remember sitting there going, God, what do you say about this? Do you care that I'm feeling this? Do you? Does it bother you? You seem like you've been silent. Why won't you talk to me? Why won't you speak something to me on this? I really need to know what you think about this. Nothing. I just sat there. <laughs> A few minutes later, I asked him again, do you care? 
What do you have to say? And that morning, I just saw God's face. I saw tears pouring out of his eyes. He was almost gasping for air that he was grieving and weeping so hard with me. He didn't say a word, and yet he said everything. Because as I sat there and saw his face, tears just flowed like a river on me. And what I sensed God saying to me in that moment was, I'm sorry. There's no words. I don't have words to say to you. But what I can demonstrate to you is that this breaks my heart, that you've had to walk through this. Oh, it tears me up that you're walking through this right now, that you've experienced this. It was like someone had put an oxygen hose in my mouth. It's what I needed. I just needed to know he cared, but I would have never gotten there in a little morning quiet time. Because of the cloud, because of the burden that was in, I needed some extra time with the king. And so I want to encourage you, where you're carrying things, push the day back. Push time back and get to be with the king. Oh, he cares. Oh, how he cares. Oh, how he loves. And he longs to tell you and to show you and to demonstrate it. But we got to make the time. we got to pursue him. But there's power in transparency and honesty with him. He's not threatened by any of that. Just like you wouldn't be as a parent or a grandparent. You just couldn't wait to demonstrate love and affection and mercy to them. We got to learn how to nourish and cherish our souls. Because it's one of the reasons people most wander away from God. It's because they're not getting their soul needs met. Because when you need air, you'll hurt somebody to get it. Which is why it's so difficult to rescue a drowning person. Because when you've lived with pain for so long, you start to lose hope that you're ever going to get free of it. But the good news is, is that the size of our pain, the size of, of our problem is not always determined by the size of the pain. It might just be a splinter that got jammed up in the finger and it hurts awful. If you can just get with somebody, get with your spouse, get with a friend, get with your life group, and just let them help you pull that splinter out. Instant relief. Instant gratitude, thankfulness. And it's like your mind starts thinking right again. Because I just got a little relief. I got a little hope. I still got a little healing to do. But I'm back. I'm, I'm believing. I'm whole, I'm whole again. Here's David. He says, he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. And so my question is, what's it look like for you to be healthy? What does it take for you to stay alive to God and His purposes for your life? See, we've got emotional tanks, physical tanks, spiritual tanks. And when one of those starts getting low, we, we, we start getting weird. We start getting desperate. And there's th we've got to know ourselves well enough so we can keep these tanks 
filled and alive in God. Once you get that splinter taken out, gratitude will start flowing. And so I want to talk about that for just a minute, is genuine gratitude. Ephesians 5.8, it says, Be filled with the Spirit. Always give thanks to God for everything. So let's define gratitude. Gratitude is the quality of being thankful and the readiness to show appreciation and to return kindness. It's what it looks like. You see, we'll give honor to whatever we're thankful for. Contentment fuels the heart with endless reasons to praise God. When we're content with where we are, with where God's placed us, and I'm not worried about what they got, what they're doing, what they're experiencing, where they're going, I'm content because I trust the King to line up my life more than I trust myself. That's when contentment fuels us and fills us. The more grateful we are for the gifts He's given, the less likely we are to misuse them. Which, I love gratitude and thankfulness because it compels us to give things away. When our hearts are grateful, when our hearts are full of gratitude, we're giving away kindness. We're giving away honor. We're giving away love. We're giving away resources. We're giving away life. We're giving away hope. Because I'm thankful. I'm full of gratefulness. That's why I love the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is this power broker, perhaps. I don't know whether he built his business honestly or not. What I do know is that he was successful in the city, and he had power and influence in the city. And for some reason, he got curious about this Jesus guy that was coming to town. And then Jesus shows up at his house. He gets a little bit of time with the king, as his life turns inside out. He comes out full of gratitude, full of thankfulness, full of restitution, just going around, hey, I'm going to give your financial life back to you. You're free. He's given freedom to all the people that were indebted to him. It's powerful. And the reason he's doing that and responding that way, because where there's entitlement, there's no gratitude present. See, entitlement says, I deserve it. This is mine. But gratitude says, and I think you deserve it. I think you should have it. Entitlement says, I worked hard for this. You owe me. Don't you let me down again, God. And gratitude says, God, I owe you everything. I never want to let you down. There's life in that. And I'm really not here to say that happiness even solves everything, resolves everything, because it doesn't. What it does do, it improves everything. We've got medical studies that tell us that people that are walking in gratitude and thankfulness have less depression, less stress, less anxiety, they're eating better, they're exercising, and they're sleeping better. Two out of six? I'll take two out of six. Here, we got to... And you might be thinking like, well, man, I've, 
I want to be more thankful. I want to be full of gratitude. Man, I've had a challenging season. It has been difficult. I want to encourage you is that if you'll think about it, the seasons that are the most challenging are the ones where we grow the most. And if nothing else, we can be thankful that, God, you're with me. I haven't, I haven't died. We're, you're being faithful to me, Lord. I'll be thankful for that. And you might, depending on where you're at, you might not be able to thank him with your emotions. But you can thank him with your will right now. Because just like love, gratitude's a choice. Gratitude's kind of like this delicious dessert at the end of a meal. After you've had this big feast, like it's just right and appropriate that somebody would bring out something sweet at the end. Like, I really think there's like something chemical going on inside after a meal that's like, sweet, 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 sweet now, be sweet now. I can't prove this, but I'm going to say that it's true. But gratitude is the same way. Because it's always appropriate to bring gratitude to bring closure for something. Because it leaves us and it leaves those around us feeling good because we've given honor and we've spoken love. And so why does God put so much emphasis on this? I don't know. I think it's because like any good parent, he cares about us. He wants us to be happy. But to truly get free and to develop this heart of gratitude, it may require us to swim upstream just a little bit. It may require us to push back against the culture, push back against the surroundings just a little bit to find ourselves there. My encouragement to you is that walking in gratitude is just a minor course correction. It just takes a little bit. And if we'll just make that little correction, it'll lead to life. And I think we'll find ourselves right into the Father's heart. Amen? Amen. All right, if you would be standing.